it's something that I have systems and processes for as well to like, you know, help, help me stay at it, help me stay motivated to, to make everything, whether from getting guest information to finding new guests to publishing, like I've got setups to kind of help me stay organized and, and, and keep on top of everything so that it, it stays top of mind. And it, it just becomes a habit, you know, like we talked about habits a little bit already, just building it into your life. This is Evolve CPG, a community of purpose-driven brand leaders who not only believe in better, but actively pursue it. That's better products, better brands, and better leadership for a better world. If you like our show, please share it with your network and leave us a rating and review. You can also join our online community where we're going further, faster, together at community.evolvecpg.com. I'm your host, Gage Mitchell, founder and creative director of Modern Species, a sustainable brand design agency helping better brands grow and scale their impact. On this episode, we're speaking with Jesse Freitag, a CPG operations consultant and host of the Startup CPG podcast about growing up on a wheat farm, setting systems and habits around your goals, scaling CPG operations, podcasting, and more. Hi, super excited to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. My name is Jesse Freitag. I am the host of the Startup CPG podcast, which I'm sure we'll talk about at some point. And then I'm also essentially a productivity and operations nerd. So I do freelance operations work and then also freelance work helping people with productivity tools. And I, I love being organized, helping people work through processes. And that's not always everyone's favorite thing to do. So I like to be the person to be like, let's tackle that together. And yeah, so I work on a lot of different projects and I'm sure we'll dig into those, but very happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm excited to chat with you. We've had lots of LinkedIn conversations, but this is our yeah. first sort of face-to-face chat. So I'm excited to learn more about you and, and all the things that you do. I've enjoyed your posts and you're a very good community builder online, just trying to make sure you share resources and connect people with each other. So I really appreciate your style and I'm excited to dig a little bit deeper into some of the things you do. So before we get into what you're doing now, though, I like to dig into background a little bit. And I noticed uh, poking around in your LinkedIn profile that you started out as a wheat truck driver <laughs> and then eventually moved into marketing and then operations. Can you kind of discuss how you got that start and what your career journey looks like to get to where you are now? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up on a wheat farm. And when you when you grow up on a farm, you end up working on the farm even, even as a kid. And so as soon as I could drive, a uh, part of growing growing wheat is you have to harvest it during the summertime. And so my one of my first jobs was to learn how to drive a truck, which is intimidating as a 16-year-old. It's enough to learn how to drive like a sedan or any sort of little car. The first time that I got into like a bigger truck, I cried because I was scared of just how big it was. But then eventually you build confidence and you're out and you're out where there's nobody else really driving around. So you get to practice and and learn how to drive. And so yeah, for I think about six years, I I drove during the summertime. It's usually a four to six week process. You're driving, you know, 12 hours a day, six days a week. Usually we take one day off. But yeah, it's all the work for the year of growing the wheat, wow. it all comes down to those few weeks of bringing it in. And it's it's a really like exciting time, but high pressure because essentially like 
the liquid gold that feeds your family is going into your truck. And so you're like, you know, if you spill a little because of your, you're not driving correctly or you open the, the hatch on the back too soon or whatever, it's just like, it's like literally money just being, you know, spilled. So it's a little high pressure, but it was, it was really fun. That farm equipment's expensive too. I'm not sure if the truck you're driving was, but like you accidentally take that thing into a ditch or something and that could be hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment damaged yes. or something. So everything that's got to be extra scary. Everything is very expensive. The first truck that I started in was like a 1970s, the like engine sat right over my leg. So it was like, you know, it's already 105 degrees out or something. And then you've got the hot engine, no air conditioning. <laughs> so it's very hot. It's like essentially just being in a sauna all day. Yeah. And then eventually got upgraded to, you know, to little, especially when you're the new driver, you get the lowest truck on the totem pole because you're the most, you know, potential accident prone. So yeah. But I think that that really gave me a love for, all things efficiency because we were we were always evaluating on the farm like you know should we upgrade to this piece of equipment because it does xyz a little bit faster or should we try doing this technology because it'll increase our accuracy for seeding and so we were always evaluating those kind of pieces and then during harvest we were always trying to figure out how to shave off you know when i first started i was like why do i have to drive the truck next to the harvester so a harvester is driving and getting the, you know, getting the wheat and then it's being emptied into a truck. And it was intimidating to drive next to the combine while it's still moving. And I was like, I don't understand why we have to do that. And I remember my dad walking me through, well, think about how many minutes we save by not stopping and restarting. And then he, he's a math whiz and he was doing, he did quick math. He was like, here's, you know, how many hours we save, minutes, hours, days. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And so we're always having those kind of conversations. And I think that made me just interested in productivity and efficiency. And so went to school for business and then started out actually in sales. My first job was a sales commission job for a, for a nonprofit angel investing company. And, and then I, through the process was like, Hey, like no one's doing marketing. Can I do some marketing? And then, Hey, nothing's organized. Like what if I organized everything? What if I learned the back end of the website? What if I set up processes? What if I figured out how to hire people and just kind of started doing those things? And it was like, wait, can this be my job too? Like, can I do like marketing and operations is my job? And they were like, sure. Um, and so that was kind of the the foray into that. And then over time, just I've done some marketing and then more and more kind of operations types roles of processes, getting organized. I worked at Adidas for a couple years and worked on implementing Smartsheet and a bunch of processes for the sales and marketing teams there. And ultimately, it was very big company, not totally my style as far as the scale of the company, but really interesting to learn at a really cool company. So yeah, just kind of over time realized that I really love being organized. I love using technology and tools and trying to save time and and realizing that not everyone loves tools as much as me. So if I can help someone learn a tool that gives them time to do what more of what they love or even like take more breaks or take care of themselves, like if a tool can help them be more successful, then I love that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because to your point, especially if it's technology, a lot of people are very averse to it, right? And they're hesitant 
they're afraid of it taking more time than it saves them, et cetera. So having somebody that can come in and teach them how to use it and where it fits into their life and how it will actually help them have more time off of the computer or, or whatever it is that they're looking for is a powerful kind of asset on a team. Oh, yeah. And I was very lucky to get to do a project at a tech startup pretty early in my career. And that was just a really eye-opening experience. I'm not a software engineer or anything, but you need to work with a bunch of software engineers and super smart people that were, they were one of the first teams to work on two-factor authentication. Like when you get a text on your phone, like that was before that was kind of normalized. They were one of the startups working on that. And they were just so like, yeah, let's dig into this. Let's try it. Let's let's see what happens if we do this. Or, you know, Trello was fairly new. Slack was pretty new. They were testing all these different tools all the time. And they were just kind of, you know, they weren't worried about breaking things or whatever. And I was like, oh, like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be so worried about technology. Like maybe it can be super useful. And I think that was really helpful to get to hang out with a bunch of tech people all the time and just see how excited and enthusiastic they were all the time. Yeah, that's cool. And it seems like you're saying on farm is where you started learning about efficiency and processes and stuff to save time or get more done or whatever. But but also in a lot of these other circumstances you're talking about, you were able to just ask the right questions and jump in and figure out how to get stuff done. So do you feel like you're you became more fearless because you mentioned the first time you got in the truck that you were a little bit afraid. Do you feel like you became more fearless or were you always kind of fearless and you were just in that case worried about the truck? But like, have you always been fearless and willing to jump into territories you know nothing about and just learn by doing? I don't know if it's fearlessness or just like determination to be like, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I'm not going to let some piece of technology intimidate me or like, or if someone's like, oh, that's not going to work. I'm like, well, then I'm going to figure it out. So maybe it's just <laughs> stubbornness uh, would be the the better term. But yeah, I'm always just been like, oh, well, that's I bet that we I bet that we can figure that out. And then I'll just kind of like grind through and figure it out until I in until I get there. And it may be kind of painful. But yeah, I really like learning new things. And also, I love asking questions. And so learning a new tool, you get to ask lots of questions. And so I also love that. And that that pairs really well with eventually then being a podcast host. But yeah, I've always been a good question asker of like, and how do you ask the right questions that get the responses? It's really you can early in my career, I didn't realize I think, and I'm still learning how to ask good questions. But you can ask a question, you can ask a bunch of questions and get no useful data when you're working on something. And so how do you ask the right questions is super fascinating to me. Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that connection just between curiosity and your work and asking the right questions in the projects or in the processes or whatever to interviewing. Because <laughs> I've always kind of considered those different animals. And I'm a big advocate for curiosity. Whenever somebody asks me what advice I would give to a young designer, it always starts with just be curious. Because if you're just curious and you ask lots of questions, you're going to uncover things that are broken about the system you're trying to fix, or you're going to uncover some brilliant insights that you can weave into your work, or you're going to find something that where it's just missing and you need to dig deeper and deeper and deeper until you get a more clear answer. So that curiosity just drives you further. But I wasn't thinking about that, like tying back into good interviewing, cause maybe there's like a different type of question you would ask when you're working on a project versus trying to pull out a story. So you've been podcasting, I think a little bit longer than I. So have you found a formula or a type of question or a type of 
curiosity that might be different from workplace curiosity versus just conversation curiosity? Hmm. It's a good question. I mean, I think I think a lot about how just generally we all connect a lot with story. And so even when it's related to, I think a lot of times, especially with like tech tools or productivity, people's eyes kind of glaze over like, oh, no, or like, they're like, I'll never be that organized, or it's really intimidating. And so I think a lot about how how can we connect it with story? How can we make it feel like you're the hero in this scenario of setting up this tool for yourself? Like, because you are like, you're doing something cool and new and you're learning a new skill. So like, kind of like positioning it as more of a story than just a like, go check these things off your to do list. Because I think we're all hit with this, like, we need to be more, more productive, more productive all the time. And I'm not really trying to help people be more productive for that narrative, but more so they can do other things they love. So yeah, I think a lot about just the story pieces and what motivates people. And I think that that ties into talking to people in general too, of hearing them share their stories and finding out what motivates them and what like incentives drive them. It's all feels kind of related. It's a fun way of looking at it. Are you familiar with the kind of practice of behavior design? Because a lot of that is around understanding somebody's existing motivation so that you can Mm -hmm. tie whatever they want to do to those motivations. So Mm -hmm. it sounds like maybe you take that approach with productivity is, okay, what's the outcome you're trying to figure? Oh, you want more time with your family. Great. Well, let me introduce this piece of technology that you're afraid about because it'll do exactly that. And then now you've tapped into a reason for them to give it a try instead of just another, another app I have to learn, another tool I have to use, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm a huge Atomic Habits, James Clear fan. I think you mentioned Tiny Habits on uh, on another one of when I've listened to your show. So yeah, I'm I'm just a. I think it's super interesting to think about all the, the little different pieces of our day and our life and how the, those all add up. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, and and I recently read the Atomic Habits, and he does reference the B.J. Fogg who wrote the Tiny Habits a lot in that book. So what I liked about B.J. Fogg is he's the one out there doing the research and and figuring these things out. And what I liked about James Clear is that he's looking at everyone's research and kind of summarizing and finding the common points. So both are good reads for anyone out there just wanting to learn how to change your own behavior or help other people change their behavior, which I think is a lot of what, at least in Better for the World, CPG brands, that's kind of what we're doing is we're trying Mm -hmm. to get people to eat better, to buy something that's better for the planet, to create more equitable systems and so on and so forth. So it is kind of a behavior change problem that we're working towards. Uh, We just don't always know it. Cool. So you, we heard a little bit about your journey from wheat truck driver into marketing and operations kind of stuff, but where, where and how did you end up in CPG? Where did that passion come from? Yeah. So I've always been interested in, I think it comes from, you know, initially growing food as my family's livelihood. So I've been interested in commodities and the global supply chain, how ingredients get everywhere across the world. My mom is really into baking. And so there was always lots of baking happening. I started a little a little mini bakery thing as a project in college and was like, oh, this is so cool to like make food package it, sell it to people. And then it kind of got put on the shelf for a few years. And I was working in Adidas. And then I got a, I was kind of like, oh, this is a cool place to work. But I was just, I was looking for somewhere where I felt I could be more impactful and make change faster. I'm a like, 
ooh, that's a good idea. Or like this process, new process makes sense. Let's do it. You know, I don't love the like red tape of let's have this go through nine months of approvals for kind of thing. <laughs> and like, and, and those can be necessary at a big company because you're turning a giant ship. You, you can't be as agile, but I was looking for that like agility and somewhere where I could jump in. And so I got a call to go to Live Bar, an energy bar startup in Oregon. And they, they knew about what I had done early in my career of kind of implementing operations processes, marketing processes, and they asked me to come in and and help scale the company. The company was going from being a regional brand to a national brand. And so they asked me to lead ops and marketing. And that was kind of my entrance into real full CPG world of going from, we went from 10 stores to 2000 in two years. We went from an upstairs apartment kitchen to a full SQF facility where we manufactured the product ourselves. The team went from two people to 30 people in the first two years. So just lots of growth quickly. And my job was to manage that growth and set up processes for the employees, do all the hiring, set up the warehouse. You know, we onboarded with Kehi and UNFI and a national launch at Sprouts. And so just got so much access to all these different pieces of the CPG world in like a really compressed timeline. And it was both like thrilling and interesting and also like challenging, like, oh, there's a lot of really tough things about this industry. And and then eventually I joined uh, the community startup CPG as when I was still at the the brand to help connect with other people because I was like, this is this seems hard like to do in a vacuum. Like are there other people going through this that want to chat? And I found CPG to also be a much more collaborative industry than other industries I've worked in that are a lot more secret. Keep your cards to your chest. You don't talk with your competitors. Whereas when I was, I called other energy bar companies and they would take my calls and they would answer my questions. And I was like, (laughs) really? And they were like, we're all on the same team. We're all just trying to get better food to people. So like, let's all just succeed together. And I was like, I love this. Like, I love this attitude. Like, these are the kind of people I want to work with. So that made me very excited about CPG and made me want to want to stay. That's cool. So how did you said you got the opportunity or the call from Live Bar? Was that something you were applying for? Like you saw a job job opportunity or they somehow headhunted you? Yeah, no, the person that was there was like a turnaround happening or like there was some investment money and the company was kind of switching leadership. And one of the the new leaders knew me from the past and we'd worked together. And so he just gave me a call and said, hey, would you be interested in this? You know, I think you'd be the right person. So I think it's really important to just build connections with authentic connections with people. And then opportunities just kind of will pop up if you do a good job and you know, take good care of people and do good work. And that's, that's always been like, I've been, I feel very fortunate, but it's been nice to like, not to have, I didn't have to go through really much of an application process. Cause it just was like, well, your track record speaks for itself. We're calling you. And so that was, that was really cool. I was really lucky. That brings up so many things. So one of them is a friend, Brendan Chanley, a designer. Um, he always said, it's not, People always say it's about who you know, but it's not about who you know. It's about who knows you. <laughs> so yeah. that's, that's one thing. Um, but then also, it's not just about who knows you, but it's what they know about you, in my opinion. It's it's this idea of if you're clear with what your special gifts are and who you want to work for, et cetera, 
and you're clear about that and you talk about it and you tell other people about it, not only is it more memorable, like they'll remember, oh yeah, I remember talking to this person who's all about productivity. That's more memorable than just being a generic, oh, I work in marketing or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. But it also uh, helps create opportunities because you're very clear. So, people know what to what to send your way. So because a past leader or a, someone in that turnaround scenario not only knew you, <laughs> but knew what you were good at, that made it an easy pitch for you without, you know, you win without pitching, which is another book maybe people might want to check out. It's all about this idea of just being an expert in something and therefore people come to you instead of you having to go pitch them and explain why you'd be a good fit for it. Mm-hmm. I haven't read that book, but I'll have to check it out. That sounds interesting. Yeah, it's it's a good one on kind of sort of like a positioning book. I think it's written more from a creative practice side of just being having a niche and having a specialty, et cetera, so that you're just the authority on a subject. And then that way you don't have to compete for projects because a lot of people uh, are generalized out there. And so they're, they're not so good in any one area that they're just the obvious choice. So they have to pitch a lot harder. That's awesome. And I agree too about the collaboration in this industry. I think because it's not necessarily just CPG in general, because I'm sure if you work in big food, there's probably a lot more closed doors, secret sauce, don't tell anyone what what we're working on kind of stuff. But in the challenger brand space, like you said, we're all kind of in it for the same general reasons. We want better options on the shelf. And whether it's my brand or your brand or someone else's brand, we all just want those on the shelf instead of the garbage that covers a lot, a lot of shelves. So I do. I have seen so many brand collaborations, for example, so many resource and insight sharing between groups like Startup CPG or OSC, like One Step Closer and Climate Collaborative, and even in the B Corp community or whatever. The people in CPG are just very welcoming and collaborative in so many ways. So it's it's a great space to be in if you have that same mindset of hey, we're all in this together. Let's just go out there and do the best work we can and support each other along the way. So speaking of Startup CPG, though, I know you are the host of the podcast, but how did you end up in that position? I know you said you joined the community when you were working at Live Bar, but how did you end up running the podcast? And for those who don't know about Startup CPG, kind of tell us a little bit about um, what they're up to and why someone should join. Yeah, so... So Startup CPG was founded by Daniel Scharf, and he had done some work with some larger CPG brands and had developed a really good network and was like, felt really lucky in the network he developed. And he was like, huh, not everyone has access to this network. What if there was like a free network for people to that are like emerging CPG food and beverage brands to like get access to these resources that I've just kind of happened to find. And so he started doing some in-person events and then the pandemic happened and switched to a Slack community. The Slack community now has almost 10,000 people, which is amazing. And it's very active. And so it's it's meant to be a place for free resources for usually one to five employee emerging, mostly food and beverage, but we have, you know, some other like beauty products and some other like home good products in the community as well. And then just so many free resources at this point. It's gone way beyond the, the Slack. And the Slack community, you can go in and say, hey, I need tapioca starch. And five people will respond to you, you know, with their supplier or something. But there's also webinars, uh, blog, magazine, 
And then I have the podcast piece, in-person events. We do events like at the different expo trade shows. And yeah, so just meant to be trying to kind of remove some of the gatekeeping that can exist or for access to resources or just the like who's who that can exist of there's, you know, the CPG industry is kind of old and has been around for a long time. And so trying to get people that are newer to the space access to information and to other people in the space. And so I joined, like, like you said, like I was at LiveBar and I was just looking to connect with other people. I got in the community, started going in the Slack every day, asking questions, answering questions, having calls with people. And then Startup CPG was looking for a season three podcast host. And I had a personal podcast at the time that I had been running for like about six months that I started during the pandemic. And I was like, I love this industry. Like I have a podcast. Here's what I've been doing. And they were like, yeah, we, you know, we'd love to have you as the the new host. And so, yeah, that was over a year ago. And then we went from in January, switched to a weekly show. And yeah, so started doing that weekly. And then our goal on the podcast is to, we have a few different goals. We, a, we want to future brands from our community that may not have had any press exposure yet. So getting their stories out there, you know, to giving access to experts and brands that are a little bit further down the road so that people couldn't tune in and learn. And then so I probably combined the combined two and three there, but yeah, just again, free information. And then it's super fun to, you know, then interact with the community, find out what's top of mind for them and questions and yeah, get to get to share out podcast information. It's been really cool to engage with listeners and have people listen to the show and then join the Slack community and get access to resources. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah. The Slack is just blowing up. I forget. I think when I joined the Slack, I want to say they were talking about, oh, we've got like 3,000 members or something. Mm-hmm. And then I was listening to one of your, either someone was interviewing you or you were interviewing someone and, and there was a mention of like 8,000 members. And then now just hearing you say like 10,000 members, it's just yeah. growing so fast, which is cool. But I think what I've enjoyed about it too, are like you said, the in-person events at uh, trade shows are just off the hook, like amazing giant parties um, compared to some of the other stuff like you said the old guard of cpg at some of these events it can feel a little elitist in that Mm -hmm. oh you have to know the right person and get this invite or pay this like huge dollar amount to attend this fancy dinner or something like that if you want to mingle with some players in the space but with the startup cpg it's just this huge party more or less everybody's welcome it's people that are the elites as well, like the people that have been around for 30, 40 years in the industry, as well as people who are just getting started and know nothing. And it doesn't feel like there's this barrier between those two groups, right? It's just very collaborative and welcoming. So I I love that kind of vibe of the space. Um, With that said, for the podcast, you said you were asked to come in to host season three, but then it changed to weekly. So does that mean um, you're planning on just like keep rolling. There's no more seasons and you are now the permanent yeah. host, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. We're just, as long as, as long as they'll have me and long as everyone's <laughs> happy, we're just rolling on, we're rolling on season three, uh, for now. So yeah, it's been, it's been super fun and we've seen a lot of growth. And so, yeah, I'll, I'll be here as, as long as a uh, startup CPG keeps me around. <laughs> okay. And then another I think I saw somewhere that you actually created some of the resources for Startup CPG too, which uh, another great reason for people to join. Lots of, I think they're all free resources. You just join the community and you get 
like a list of thousands of co-packers or, you know, there's all these other different resources, but which resource were you involved in creating? Yeah. So I've, the two that I've worked on were a warehouse and a 3PL fulfillment provider database. So it's the, as far as I can find, because I wanted it to be the most comprehensive one that existed. There's like 300 plus fulfillment, whether that's like online, your website fulfillment or fulfillment to your wholesale partners, and then just warehouse space. And then it has lots of different filters and, you know, do they only do online or do they do long-term storage? Are they refrigerated, frozen, all those kind of things, all those filters are there. And when I build a database like me or like someone that I'll work with, like we'll call every single person on the list. I personally will go to every single website and vet their website and the links. So like it's a very in-depth process because I want the resource to be super valuable. I want it to be something that I would use when I'm on the brand side. I want it to be something that I still use when I work with brands today. When someone says, hey, I need a 3PL, I can go to a resource I created and you know give them my top five options kind of thing. And then the other one was a freight provider database. And that's got, I think almost almost 100 freight providers again with you know filters for whether it's a freight broker or a carrier and then do they do frozen do they do you know fast uh fast turnaround do they do white glove delivery kind of all the different do they do international all the kind of filters you could need and and help find a freight provider people that you can send for, you know, when you need some pallets moved. And so, yeah, those are the couple I've worked on. They're super fun. There's definitely a whole library of like Shopify providers, accelerators in this space. And yeah, it's free to join if you sign up for the Startup CPG email list and then the links at the bottom of the of the email. Okay. That's what was literally going to be my next question is how do people get these resources? So thanks for preemptively answering that. That's amazing. Yeah. So many great resources out there. I love it. So you mentioned your other podcast that you started before joining the Startup CPG podcast, and, and you're still running both, <laughs> which is impressive because just running this this one Evolve CPG podcast is a lot of work. So I can imagine what it would be like running two. So tell us a little bit about Iro's Corner, though, because I think that sounds fascinating as well. Maybe a little bit of overlap, but it's different as well. But I also love the name, <laughs> the, the Uncle Iro kind of reference there is fun. So where did your passion for tea come from and what is the, that show all about? Yeah, so to start with tea, I don't I can't remember the exact moment that I got introduced to like loose leaf tea versus like Lipton tea in a bag, but it was a game-changing moment in my life. I was like, this is so much better. Oh my goodness. And then I just really started digging into the tea world. Portland, Oregon where I'm at is also a great place for tea. We have lots of tea shops, tea houses, tea companies, Stash, Tazo, like those were all founded here. So the great tea community, we have an annual tea festival that I got involved in and started like volunteering at and really getting into tea. And then the pandemic, you know, happened. And I was just, I was missing connecting with people. And I was like, I was asked to be on a podcast by a former colleague. And I got on the podcast. And I was like, Oh, podcasting. This is interesting. Maybe I could connect with people during the pandemic because I was missing having tea at these different tea places with people that I wanted to get to know just either within CPG or just in general people that I thought were interesting. And so Uncle Iroh, the character that it's named after from Avatar The Last Airbender, his quote is, sharing tea with a fascinating stranger is one of life's true delights. And that's just a quote 
that I love and live by. And so I was like, what if, you know, what if that's what I focus my podcast around? And so I started that, I think around March 2021. And yeah, had had all like my favorite brands. A lot of them are local to Portland and just wanted to get on and learn their stories, talk about their favorite teas. And, and then also some people that I'd worked with at Adidas that had been really inspirational or just other people in my career. And so sometimes CPG brands, sometimes, you know, local ice cream place or someone who's a director at Adidas, but really fun. I have to say Iroh's Corner is a not the episodes are not as regular now that startup CVG is weekly. It is very hard to to uh, to maintain multiple podcasts. Um, so not as frequent as they they used to be for sure, but it's still you know still kind of active. Um, but I am I'm definitely more focused on startup CVG. But it's it's so fun and just a a little bit longer form show to just kind of hang out with people and we do tips and dregs at the ends where we talk about the tips of the tea. It's like the sweet part of the tea dregs is like what's left in your glass. So we do like the high highlight of our week, low light of our week. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's cool. I, I feel like the pandemic must have tripled the number of podcasts in the world because, you know, I started around the same time. I keep hearing of so many others who were kind of starting in the pandemic for similar reasons. All of a sudden their vibrant community that they were used to connecting with disappeared. So they're like, wanted a reason and it's either you have a lot of zoom meetings but there is zoom fatigue setting in or you have a podcast and have conversations or you know i'm sure there's plenty of people out there who just have the conversations don't decide to record it but but for me it was a similar reason that i was i started with zoom meetings where i was just connecting people in my community who are all kind of impact driven leaders in some way and like finding ways to share their knowledge with each other but Zoom fatigue and all these online events and everything kind of set in. So I thought, ask the community where they would rather get this kind of information. They said podcast. So I just said, okay, <laughs> never thought about running a podcast, but I guess I'll figure it out. But it was for the same basic reasons of keeping con- connections alive and sharing knowledge and sharing these conversations with the world. So I don't have any numbers on it, but I, I would be willing to bet the number of podcasts kind of went through the roof during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I it definitely it definitely increased, but it's interesting the last stats I read was that I think it was 48% of podcasts have under 3 episodes. So a lot of podcasts started, not a lot of them have stayed, which is which is interesting because I hear a lot of people go, "Oh, pot it's too late to start a podcast. It's saturated." And I'm like, "Ah, I think there's plenty of there's plenty of space in the in the podcast world if you stick with it." For sure. And the stick with it is the is the thing to remember there because I know people who have been podcasting for like 10, 20 years and they just kind of stuck with it. Now they're like the number one or number two in their category. Not that they aren't also great interviewers and just really good at it, which does come with time. You get better at things that you repeat, right? But it's also largely the just sticking with it because you like the snowball effect, you accumulate listeners, you get you know, bigger and bigger list of guests, more and more people hear about your show, and so on and so forth. So I think the people who pop into a podcast and then disappear quickly, like I think they call it pod fade. (laughs) It's probably because they're like, this sounds like a good idea. And they started doing it. And it was like way too much work or more work than they were imagining. And they just quickly fizzle out. But if it is something that you love doing, and you want it to succeed, you just kind of have to keep at it, you know, and it's, it's hard to do that. Actually, Actually, I would say that's a good lesson for most things in life, whether it's a hobby or 
like a personal hobby or like running a business. It's it's a friend of mine was recently saying it's it's whoever can bleed the longest and survive in some industries, right? So same thing with podcasts. If you can just keep going and keep going, like eventually it'll click, it'll work out, you'll get better, your guests will get better, you'll have all the right equipment and next thing you know, you're one of the top shows in your category or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's another thing that you can, you know, I've developed over time, but it's something that I have systems and processes for as well to like, you know, help help me stay at it, help me stay motivated to to make everything, whether from getting guest information to finding new guests to publishing, like I've got setups to kind of help me stay organized and 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 keep on top of everything so that it it stays top of mind and it, it just becomes a habit, you know, like we talked about habits a little bit already. It's building it into your life. Right. Totally. Yeah. And for me, I think it I just love connecting with people so much that that's my motivation to keep going to some degree mm-hmm. is I get so much out of these conversations that may or may not happen when I'm busy if I don't have an obligation like, to fulfill. But by promising the world that I'm going to publish an episode every week, I have that obligation that even if I'm busy, works crazy, whatever, I still need to produce an episode. So it like forces me to continue uh, making these connections. And then when I do have the conversations, I'm reminded of why I've loved this so much. It's just <laughs> great to have these conversations and learn from each other and then share that with the world. But speaking of your organization skills, one of the first things that I realized when kind of following some of your stuff on LinkedIn is your obsession with productivity and organization. Uh, I was super blown away when you published your list of, I think it was at the time, maybe it's grown, but like 101 podcasts in the CPG space. And it's not like you just had here's a list of URLs to podcasts. (laughs) You literally had like the podcast name, their category, their rankings, their frequency, like just all the data you could possibly want on all these different podcasts all in an air table. So it's very apparent. <laughs> it's very apparent that you're an organization geek. So let's maybe shift into talking a little bit about your personal kind of freelance work around productivity. Like what is that the kind of stuff you help other people or other companies with? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, that's kind of that's how I got into the freelance world was, I think it was through my first podcast, Iro's Corner, that I had someone reach out and be like, hey, I heard you mentioned Trello. We want to get set up in Trello. Can you help us? And I was like, yeah, sure. And then they were like, oh, and we'll pay you. And I was like, really? Wait, what? Oh, <laughs> cool. Like, that's amazing. Like, I love that kind of work. And so on the side, I started doing this kind of custom Trello set. Trello is a tool that I've used, like I mentioned, for a really long time, very familiar, but also also know how to learn about it, which I guess is a is a skill, knowing how to learn about a system since you can't necessarily know everything. And so yeah, did that, did that build, worked with that team. I still, I still work with that company some and then was like, oh, this was really cool. And, you know, not everyone is this organized and, or, you know, either, either they want to be more organized or maybe they don't need to be as organized as I am, or it looks differently for them. But yeah, so started doing more of that work. So I've done, uh, recently did a custom notion setup, notion and Trello are kind of a couple of the tools that I live in a lot. I've done, I've implemented HubSpot the, as a, 
CRM, like for tracking your sales information within CPG and within some other industries. Um, So I've implemented HubSpot a few times and then Airtable, which is what I built that list of podcasts. And so, yeah, any of those tools to just kind of help organize information, help team members share with people. And also those like kind of critical points at Startup CPG, we have a lot of founders that are it's them and their co-founders or just them and or maybe in their hiring maybe their first person or their fifth person or the 10th person and some of those those kind of critical scaling points require a little more organization or more organization can be helpful if it's there and so helping think through you know are there free tools that can be used are there ways that as a founder we can free up your time by developing some resources that are more static or some processes so that, you know, you don't have to individually walk a new team member through every single thing or see that you know what they're working on and just thinking through those kind of questions. That's what I really enjoy working with small teams or growing teams on is is just kind of setting up some of those pieces and even maybe doing some of the back end building part so that necessarily like Notion is a really cool cool tool, but it's really overwhelming. It has a lot of capabilities. And so I can kind of learn what you want and envision and build the back end so that you don't necessarily have to learn all that and then can just teach you how to use the tool and the pieces that are relevant to you. So yeah, it's super fun and love getting to see people feel more organized and feel more efficient and be like, oh my gosh, we saved so much time. Or it's just, it's fun to get to see people again, get to do more of what they love and not have to feel overwhelmed by, you know, yet another technology tool. Yeah. Especially like you said, like Notion or HubSpot's another one of those that's crazy overwhelming. (laughs) If you just kind of open it up and you start looking at all the different things HubSpot can do, it'll most people would just freeze instantly (laughs) because they're like, oh my God, there's like 10,000 different things I could be doing with this tool. But if you can come in and help them say, okay, ignore all that, here's the 10 things that you can work on, then that just makes their life easier, probably helps them build the things that actually make sense for them instead of trying a bunch of different things that maybe don't make sense. And then they can just focus their energy elsewhere. Kind of like the book, Getting Things Done, which I'm guessing is probably one of your favorites just because you're, <laughs> you're focused on productivity. But the idea is that the more things you can get out of your head and into systems that you trust, the more time you can spend your creativity or your your intellect on things that are more important than just memorizing or keeping track of to-do lists, etc. Yeah. And I also like to work with with teams or people on when you're building a new way of working or like you're, you know, essentially you're building new habits when you're trying to work in a new system or be more organized. And there's this tendency, which I have done, like I've implemented these systems, I've done it for myself, where it's new, it's shiny, and you have this version of your yourself in your head where you're like, you know, future Jesse, she like everything's <laughs> color coded. There's all these checklists. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And then you start playing with a new tool and you set up the most complicated system that's ever existed. <laughs> and then a week later, you're tired and you're like, I'll just go back to using sticky notes and just cover my desk with them. And so, you know, trying to bridge that gap of like the enthusiasm that can exist when we're like, let's set up a new new way to be organized and that appreci- uh, that enthusiasm is appreciated and we want to channel it but we also want to talk about what's your worst day like and let in your busiest day and let's take that into consideration when we build something so that it's successful 
long term and then maybe it helps us get on this path to this aspirational view you have but let's build really slow so that we don't just fall off the tracks completely totally that's and that's exactly what the tiny habits book we were talking about before is all about it's because you know you might be like you know i need to get in shape i'm going to sign up for a marathon and it's all going to work out i'm going to have to start running 20 miles a day from scratch etc that's going to fail like for 99.9% of people as soon as one bad day hits, it's raining or your back hurts or whatever, you're not going to go out and run. And then the whole habit's going to fall apart because you started too big. But if you start with these tiny habits, like, you know what, I'm just going to put my shoes on and go walk around the block for, for now. And then, you know what, I'm feeling pretty good. I built that habit. I'm going to run for a little bit for like five or 10 minutes. And you kind of just slowly build that up in a more repeatable way that you can maintain that habit. Because as James Clear also mentions in his book, Atomic Habits, it's more about the consistency, keeping up with the habit, than it is about the intensity of the habit that day. So it's more important to just show up to the gym and do five minutes on the treadmill than it is to go and beat all your previous like maximum weightlifting kind of goals and stuff every single time. It's not about that. It's about just showing up. So finding a habit that's low enough that you can show up for consistently is the goal. And then you can kind of scale it and build it from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And making, if you're on a team, you know, making the pieces a part of your culture as well. I don't know how many like Slack is uh, and like that. We've had uh, good discussions on, I've had good discussions on LinkedIn about, you know, Slack and using it as a tool. I've Slack's gotten much more common when I was implementing it you know, in the past, it was it was kind of less common, but there's kind of these, these pieces when, you know, how many team members do you have? Is it valuable? And then if you have enough team members, how do you teach people to use it? How do you make it part of your culture that that's in Slack versus email, or that, you know, that this happens here versus here? And, and how do you make it, you know, friendly, and you don't want to make anyone feel silly for putting something in the wrong tool and, and navigating all of that can be tricky. And so thinking about how technology impacts your culture and still making sure that it's building the culture you want, but also recognizing that change management is a thing. There are people with degrees in it, and it's a whole, and it's a whole process. And even in a startup with three people, change management still going to exist. And so those pieces are really interesting as well. Yeah. And even when you've got the culture that's really working, new people come into the company too mm-hmm. and hire or training them and orienting them to the new processes that they're not used to, especially if they're kind of an experienced professional that's used to doing things their own way. That's a whole, a whole nother beast too. But that kind of reminds me of you're talking about the, your work with LiveBar and how you helped them go from 10 doors to 10,000 or something like that and scale the team to from like two to 30 or whatever. I, I don't remember all the stats, but it was like big change, right? And with companies, every micro step from like one person to all of a sudden two or three people is a big mm-hmm. change. And then three people to like five or 10 people is a big change. And 10 people to 20 or 30 people is a big change. And each of those points requires a different company architecture like of hierarchy it requires different systems and processes it requires different meeting cadence it requires different management structures right so as you pointed out that's all organizational development work that needs to be considered that most companies don't consider and they start scaling without thinking about that stuff and they scale inefficiencies or toxic culture or whatever else along the way just because that culture or those processes worked when they were small and they're like, Mm -hmm. just keep going. We don't have time to think about this. 
But if you don't stop and think about how you need to structure the business at each major milestone, then you could just be, like I said, scaling stuff that doesn't work and eventually run yourself out of business. So is that some some of that work is part of what you do with folks as well as more on that change management side? Yeah, definitely something to that I like to help people think through. And because I also think it's important to think about where you want to be. It's one thing to also build for where you're at right now. But you know, to take into consideration where you're going to be at in six months to a year, you don't want to spend, you know, I'm, I'm not an expert in, uh, in uh, inventory software, but I get questions about it. And that's something where it's like, if you know that you're going to outgrow an inventory software in six months, don't spend six, those six months implementing it, you know? So yeah, thinking through those pieces and yeah, the culture shifts that happen as you add more employees and what does that look like and making it a place that you still want everyone to work, but yet hold true to the values that were part of why you started your company. I think it's easy to kind of get pushed just around a little bit as you grow and and it seems silly or it seems maybe on the boring side but the systems that you set up will ultimately feed the culture again James Clear nerd here but he's he says you don't uh you don't rise to the level of your goals you f- a fall to the level of your systems and so it's like if these are your goals are there the systems in place to make them happen when you know, when bad things happen or when things go wrong? And do you have the systems for when things go right? Um, I think is another important question as well. If everything happens that you want, can you support it from an infrastructure (laughs) perspective? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think most of the company or a lot of companies that scale really fast, if they fail, it's because they failed to also scale their systems and their culture and stuff along the way, right? Because it's easy to get distracted when, oh, we, we get all these retailers, we got all these investors, we got all this money or whatever, just go, 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 go. But if you're not also taking a moment every maybe six months if you're scaling fast. I think I, I heard Slack as they were on their rapid growth trajectory. They said it was literally like every six months that they had to rethink their organizational structure because they were growing that fast. And if you don't do that, you're just going to be another one of those case studies of this you, this company that looked like a unicorn was exploding and then all of a sudden dissolved because you didn't keep the systems and processes going along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, I think people get overwhelmed by, you know, the word systems and processes. These, they don't necessarily have to be complex either. It can be as simple as everyone saving their notes the same way or how you set up your Dropbox. You know, these are like, they're kind of intimidating words, but they don't, it doesn't have to be intimidating. Yes, there is software that is intimidating to implement. And if you get to a certain scale, like you'll have to implement inventory software or manufacturing resource planning software if you're doing your own like facilities. Like those things come and are complex. But a lot of these like systems that you're creating don't even, you don't even have to necessarily pay for a tool for them. It's just like thinking about how you do your work. And sometimes that reframe can help it feel more approachable too. Yeah. So I know that you've got your freelance practice where you're doing some of this productivity work, but then you also do operations work for CPG brands through a company called Boyle Brands. Can you talk a little bit about what Boyle in general does and then your role within there? 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So again, if it's not apparent, I'm definitely an operations nerd. And, you know, a lot of the, I did a lot of types of work at Live Bar, but what I really loved was a lot of the work on manufacturing, ingredient sourcing, and then certifications. I got really deep into uh, getting SQF certified, gluten-free certified, non-GMO, organic certification. And maybe unsurprisingly, I love all the organization and, you know, pieces that go into that or into making that an efficient process. And so I got connected with Boyle Brands and Boyle Brands is a small ops agency that focuses on kind of three areas. One, helping people find new co-manufacturers. So dedicated co-manufacturer searches will do the calling, you know, we'll call 40 different places for you and you know, with your information and specs to find out if a manufacturer is going to be a fit for you and kind of give you a lay of the landscape for for your section of the industry. And then we'll do full commercialization projects from, you know, helping you get the product formulated to finding the co-manufacturer to ordering any ingredients that the manufacturer may not source to setting up your uh, warehouse that's going to do your fulfillment all the way through that process. And then we'll do certification work as well. So getting you non-GMO certified, I just helped a client very recently get uh, their non-GMO certification and, you know, but any of the the major certifications, kosher, even NSF or, and so we'll do projects on that as well. And I work on all three of those types of of projects in you know helping clients find the find the right manufacturer that's going to be a good fit after being self-manufactured I am definitely very passionate about helping people find a manufacturer that's going to be a good fit after kind of seeing the the back end of the process and then again certification nerd so love getting to work on any of those projects so we work with a lot of different smaller growing brands and then with some larger brands as well and all those different projects and super great team of people that's awesome because a lot of that is really complicated work and especially i've noticed a lot of people maybe it's always been this way but i've noticed it more lately that a lot of folks coming into cpg with zero experience in cpg so they're coming in maybe at best having had like cooked their favorite recipe at home a lot, but they have no idea how to scale that into a manufacturable kind of recipe or whatever. Or maybe they came from just something entirely different like technology and now they're learning the food biz or CPG in general for the first time. So having resources like Boil, or it sounds somewhat similar as well to like Rodeo CPG in a way. We had them on the show a little while back, but having resources like that of people who know how this works, know the industry, know how to get you connected in the right places so that you as the founder or you as the executive team can focus on what you really need to focus on. Maybe that's fundraising or innovation or whatever else, but like having somebody that can handle more of that operations side for you is a huge asset, which maybe there's always been companies like that, but I've been finding out about more of them more recently myself. So it feels like a newer trend, but I could be wrong there. Yeah, I think they I think they def- they existed. There seems to be more just more awareness cuz I wish that I had known that there were more resources like this when I was on the brand side because like I don't know that it probably made sense for me to spend the I don't know how many hours learning how Oregon Tilth and USDA organic works. I mean, like just hundreds of plus hours digging into that certification like that probably 
that probably didn't make sense for considering the other work that I needed to do running the production facility and all these things. I probably could have just outsourced that piece. And sure, now I learned a lot and am using it in other ways. But I think for a lot of times, especially for the founder of a company, like you don't, it probably doesn't make sense for you to go down the rabbit hole of, of some of these areas and become an expert in this thing when it's not ultimately going to be the, the leadership and the, you know, the growth pieces that you need to be considering. Like, we we did hire when I was on the brand side, we did hire a consultant to help with like write an SQF plan or whatever. And I was like, this is this is so valuable. Like it would have taken me so long to learn that and to have someone just come in, work on a targeted project, projects done, they leave, you keep running your business. Like it it makes a lot of sense. And so it it's fun to be able to get to provide that service for brands now that I kind of wish that I had had access to or known about. Yeah. That makes sense. And I feel like one of the barriers maybe beyond not knowing that those are that, that is an option is a lot of founders or small companies either don't have lots of cash to spend on outsourcing stuff or they're afraid, like especially if it's their own money they've been investing um, since the early days, they're kind of afraid to spend money on outside resources. So they end up doing a lot of wasting a lot of their own time slash internal resources trying to figure it out themselves. When to your point, what might have taken a founder who doesn't know anything about this a hundred hours to figure out could have just been paying someone else ten hours or something like depending on what the task is, to get it done for them. And yeah, that is scary to write that check. But if you just saved ninety hours of your time that's 90 hours that you could put into going in fundraising so you can't pay that check or going into selling <laughs> to retailers so you can't pay that check. So I think that's one of the things I was told early on in my entrepreneurial journey is is lean more towards outsourcing things that don't make sense for you to do. Obvious ones are like accounting and your lawyer and, and you know bookkeepers and different things like that that most entrepreneurs don't want to spend the time doing that. But that also goes towards branding or operations or sales or whatever else. Like if it's bogging you down and keeping you from doing the things that you're truly meant to do in the business, find any way you can to get that off your plate so that you can uh, find your zone of genius, so to speak. Another book drop, I think it's called The Big Leap, is all about kind of delegating stuff that doesn't make sense for you to do so that you can focus on on your quote unquote zone of genius so that you can be more productive, you can provide the value that you're meant to provide and you can let other people lean into their zone of genius. You can let uh, someone like yourself handle the productivity and operation stuff who geeks out on it. Whereas if that's not your thing, don't try to do it. It's just a waste of time and money. So a lot of scrappy founders out there um, try to do everything themselves, the chief, chief everything officer, as we like to say. But as soon as you possibly can, bring in other people to do it would be my my advice. Yeah, the opportunity cost is just becomes really high, especially at some point. I mean, it depends on your goals, too. If you're tr- trying to really build out a skill and it you it's going to be a passion, you want to invest in yourself because you think that it's going to be something that's, you know, really helpful for you to know, then yeah, maybe it does make sense to do on your own or invest in the education on. But you know, I always like to think through the opportunity cost of what could I do with these extra hours, like you said, or or what could I do with this money if I don't spend it on outsourcing? Or if I do and, you know, play with those different scenarios and, you know, some a lot of times getting some help, outside help can be the best option. Uh, so I've already kept you probably too long here. We could geek out on these subjects for much longer, <laughs> I'm sure. But 
Um, to wrap up, we're in a interesting situation with supply chain issues kind of lingering from COVID and uh, war, global wars and other things kind of going on. We're hearing all these talks of recessions and so on and so forth, but there's still a lot of people out there very dedicated and excited and, and passionate and motivated to grow their brands in the coming year. So what advice would you give to people for 2023 when it comes to like operations, productivity kind of stuff, where should they focus? Yeah, it's, first of all, I mean, it is, it's just, it's tough out there. It's really hard. Um, and just want to recognize that when I worked in the like angel investing world, investors would a lot of times say like, well, it's always a recession for startups. <laughs> so they would, they were, depending on the investor, they weren't always as worried about recessions because they were like, well, all the startups that I work with are, you know, everything's a recession. So, but all the supply chain pieces and everything. So as much as you can start thinking about from a like very tactical I mean, most people have started doing this because of the pandemic, but having backups on backups for your suppliers and different pieces of your supply chain and building those relationships. And then also thinking about for 2023, if you're planning to double in size, what does that mean for your supply chain as well? The supplier you're using now and your backup suppliers may not fit where you're going to be in a year. So start nurturing those relationships now because all the people that work at you know, different ingredient providers, they're all just people through trying to get through the day, trying to make meaningful connections. And so start reaching out to the people and build the connection and establish your brand as something that they're going to be interested in when you give them a call and need a truckload instead of a pallet. Um, I think planning those things and then also starting again, going back to habits of if, if you have a vision for where your company is going to be at for 2023, 20, starting to think through what can that look like from a systems building perspective and breaking down even into, you know, a couple minutes, every like two minutes a day. What could I do two minutes a day that's going to set me up for next year? Like, I want to I want to be a person who does X, Y, Z next year. What can you start doing now? Don't wait for the new year. There's so much pressure and so much newness in January. We've still got a little bit left in this year. So if you can and start setting up some of those processes. And then the last piece would just be, I love being on LinkedIn and I love connecting with everyone there. And I think it's a great resource. But I also, I see this happen a lot in like Startup CBG Slack too and everything. These are great communities, but it, it's also remember to to focus on your brand and not worry too much about what the other brands are doing. Like someone else got a Whole Foods launch or, you know, someone else got landed this new cool thing or they raised $10 million or whatever. And it can feel like a lot of pressure of like, oh, my brand didn't do that. Or should we be doing that? I was trying to grow slower. I was trying to do this. And, you know, it's okay, it's okay to really focus on what your brand's goals for next year. And if they look very different, than other brands that you're seeing on LinkedIn, like celebrate their successes and then stay on your path and keep building the the habits that are going to make your business valuable long term. So I think that there's just a lot of pressure to to be be as successful as what we see on LinkedIn. And there's more vulnerability happening. But just just a reminder that it's okay that your business can look like the way it, it needs to be for you. Because ultimately, for we spend a lot of time at work. So we want it to be a meaningful part of our lives and build that out the way that you want to build it out. Yeah. I love that last note too. It's, it's a common struggle. I think is you compare people on completely different paths or at a different stage in their career or a different type of business or a different category or whatever. And then you compare that to whatever you're working on. And it's almost always 
irrelevant or or it, it doesn't tie back to what you're doing. So like finding ways to just focus more on your own path, your own journey, your own stage of growth, your own whatever, and what makes sense for you instead of getting caught up in the the growth culture or the the yeah, let's just leave it at that. The growth culture that I feel like can be toxic a, a lot of times in in uh, entrepreneurism, not just CPG, just in general. Like I think mm-hmm. media, magazines, peer pressure, whatever, uh, tends to say that if you're not growing crazy, crazy fast, then you're doing something wrong. Whereas for a lot of companies, growing crazy fast is actually bad <laughs> and isn't the approach you should be taking. So I... I think some of the more vulnerable people on LinkedIn are helping that conversation, but I would love to see more media instead of Forbes having like lists of the fastest growing or the biggest companies. Why don't they have lists on like the longest running companies or the most stable companies or the ones with the best company culture? You know, like there's other things we could be focusing on. And I think it's easy to get caught in that comparison trap and it's not a good place to be because not only is it (laughs) distracting and demotivating, but it's also could potentially put you on a path that doesn't make sense for you at all. Cool. So with that said, I uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your productive schedule to share <laughs> some of your wisdom with us in the community and to tell us a little bit more about what you're up to and all the different things that you've got going on. And uh, also as a fellow podcaster, I appreciate you being out there kind of sharing stories of what other people are up to so that we can all learn and grow together. So thanks for doing all the things that you do. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been super fun to get to talk with you after engaging on LinkedIn and and same back to you. I really appreciate all the work that you do and the resources that you share. And so, yeah, this is just super fun and honored to, to have been on your show. All right. Go team. Go team CPG. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Go team. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Jesse, visit jessefreitag.com or tune in to Startup CPG and Iro's Corner wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more innovator interviews, expert advice, and leadership discussions. If you like this episode, leave a heart, thumbs up, or review and share it with your colleagues. As an ever-evolving show, we also love feedback. So send us your thoughts or ideas for who we should talk to next to evolve at modernspecies.com.